0: So here we are looking across at the stone straw. Yes.
1: And yes. Kurrik was up
0: there. Just over the river. the river. Yeah, yeah, Just over the river and all that and right to the end there. Kiura, they Oh! And then the This is Lois from Kiura. Yes, we've met Kiura. Kiura. They were village. <laughs> 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 And under the, the plane like that too.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is
0: beautiful. It's a stunning place. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I've had a few visitors Nice.
0: No, morning. Nice. No, cool. yeah. You want to go through? You I'd like to go, go through? through. go through, yeah. walk through, and
2: Let's
1: have a look. look, through. Through. Then we'll look.
0: We've got a little shop here. Oh, nice. Oh, look at these gourds. Aren't they gorgeous? Yes. Who does the carving? Who, who does the carving? Renata. Oh, oh Renata.
1: Yeah.
2: That one. Mm. There are some people in this world who seem born to take charge and take care of others. Nora Ramika is one of them. The Ngāti Rehia Kuia, born to a teenage Ngāti Kuri mother in Te Kau 72 years ago, was made a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit in the Queen's Birthday Honours for a lifetime of service to Māori. By today's standards, she was raised in dire poverty, a home with a dirt floor, no power and no running water. She had a dozen young siblings, a father who would walk through the night every Sunday just to make it to his labouring job, a hard-working mum who pushed a horse-drawn plough through the paddocks even when she was heavily pregnant. It was a different time for many Māori who lived in rural areas. Hard work was a given, raising large families and living off the land. Most likely, it was Nora's parents who were the example of what she has achieved through hard work. Lois Williams sat down with Nora to talk about her life in the far north. My mom was
1: very young when she had me. She was sixteen when she had me, and, and a very young mom. and, and So she met my dad, and married my dad, and uh, moved to Titi. And the reason why we moved to Titi, is um, my my parents moved to Titi, was um, because my father was married before, and his wife had passed away. And he had three children to his first wife. And so his children was back in Titi. So he wanted to come back with his new wife. And a 16 year old bride. And 16 year old bride, and to be with near his three children. Mm-hmm. And of course, coming back to Teti was a time where housing was very bad. And I can remember as a child being brought up in a house that was uh, mud floor, uh, big open fire, and um, tins around, and pataraupo and nico, you know, any little thing that actually makes a house. For me, that was actually for me. It was a, a life that that um, I can still remember, um, and I grew up in that in that house till I was about um, five. I went to school in Titi, of course. This would have been in, in the forties, wasn't it? Yes, uh, uh, it I was born in 1944, so we were back in Titi in 1945. So and then I went and and then I went to school at Titi in 1949. Which was Titi Native School, at that time.
0: What was the community like in those
1: days? Hmm. Titi was a wonderful place to be brought up. I have to say, I I loved my life at Titi as a child. I loved the people, my people, which I still think a lot of, and um, and I think I was one of those lucky child uh, brought up during that period of time uh, where you belong to everyone. <laughs> Everyone was your your auntie and uncle, even if they weren't your auntie and uncle, they were, and um, our life was a wonderful life. It was hard. Um, We never had electricity. We never had um, water. We never had tanks. We had puna, where we had to, as a child, I could remember going down to the well and getting water for my mum before going to school. The reason was because my mum was always pregnant. <laughs> and there's of course you can uh, in saying that, um, there was fifteen of us, uh children. My mum had fourteen.
0: That wasn't uncommon in those days, of course. No,
1: it wasn't uncommon of course, yes, it wasn't un- uncommon. But I think in during that period of time, um, people might think it was hard but uh for us we we sort of loved it. It was, uh, We didn't have much, in, um, but we could live off the land. We had puppies around us. We had fish. We had gardens. Um, I mean, we never saw meat, I guess, for me. I never saw meat until every thought my, my father would come back from wherever he was working with some meat. Um, but we never had fridges. You know, we couldn't keep meat. So you'd eat it and share it. Yeah. Uh, we used to eat it at home, well, when we were growing up. We ate in our own places. So, I mean, I was a child brought up that when I went to play, I always went home. Mm. I, I never I never ate in other people's homes. Um, something that I was taught. And we weren't hungry. I mean, we made our own bread. Um, we had no butter, but, you know, uh, we were pretty healthy, I think. And we had fruit that was always on the trees. We had figs, you know, so seasons sort of brought around fruit. And um, we were children that. Lived on seafood, <laughs> seafood,
0: uh, vegetables, and fruit. That sounds like a pretty healthy diet. Oh, it was wonderful. Your own version of the Mediterranean diet. <laughs> yes, it what was. did your dad do for a living? What was he working at?
1: My dad, in, in, uh, um, in the early days, my father was one of those hard working men, and I actually respect my dad very much because he was a wonderful father. Uh, and I say that I was lucky because I never saw alcohol in our house. I grew up in a real, plenty children, but it was a wonderful um, life. My father worked hard. He used to um, come into Waipapa and pick up any work. And he used to do fencing. Um, he had to walk either ride by horse or at, on a bike when he was, and then or else walk. He would start walking on a Sunday to come back to work in Waipapa on Monday.
0: He would walk overnight
1: overnight, oh well, he would walk, and he would start early in the afternoon and walk to
0: Waipapa. how many how many ks would that be
1: uh, well it's about thirteen ks I think now and and you could remember during that time we never had our seal roads. it was metal road, so he would trudge overnight or over he these would tru and a lot of them did that a lot of the men did that, uh, but my dad was a hard working man he uh, he went to um work in a quarry, you know, he knew, people knew him, and he was a hard worker, so... What
0: was his name?
1: His name, my dad's name, his name was Waitai Tua. And in the olden days, all the people like at or Titi used to call him Neru, and and uh, after the Prime Minister, because he was very dark, my dad, beautiful smile, happy man, um, but he always, uh, he, he, the people at home called him Nehru because he looked like the Prime Minister of India. <laughs> So, yeah, but a wonderful man, but in the later years, my father got permanent work by working at um in the railways till he retired.
2: Nora experienced a common story with many Māori who went to school at that time and were punished for speaking te ill. I did many times uh,
1: because i Every time, you know, uh, when you stay in, in our village, we loved it. We knew everyone. We knew, and when we went to school, we talked just the same as what we did at home, or else we, you know, we always might ever we forget we're at school. And so we were punished. Um, but it, What sort of punishment? Usually, the strap or the cane. It's caned on the hands, and that really didn't happen. Uh, I mean, for us, we slowly learned, or we learned fast, not slow, that we couldn't speak. Māori. Was this just in the classroom? What about
0: when you went outside to play? No, in the grounds
1: we weren't allowed. Once you came through the gate, you weren't allowed to speak Māori. It was hard for us in the beginning, but we you know, as children you sort of uh, knew right and wrong and when we went home we spoke Māori and we weren't allowed to speak English. (laughs) (laughs) So we had two girls and and when we went to our marae, it was only totally te reo. So we never grew up in English except at school. Mm -hmm. And uh, our village was vibrant, I have to say. Um, we grew up in a period of time where uh, there was religion played a major role in our lives. And, and we had our rules in the village too. So rules uh, about drinking and, and and when children got into trouble at Titi, uh, they were brought before a council of um or council that was set up by the church, or well, sort of the church, but by the hapu themselves. So, um, if I can um, say that in my time, I never saw police. We 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 always thought they were boogeymen, because we, we, we you know we were told if you ever see a policeman, they're boogeymen, they get you to jail. So we we're always terrified of policemen. So we never saw police cars coming down into our village. Mm. I could only remember one at least actually being taken to court yeah, that was naughty. I mean a grown- up person yeah. Which but, church um,
0: was was it?
1: We had two church religions in Titi during my time of childhood. One was the Raratana church which we did belong to the Raratana Church, but a man came from Tainui and his name was Akeremana lemon Remana Remana Rapana was his name. And he brought a church similar to Ratana, um, but he became like a saviour because of his healing powers, just like Ratana. Really? Yeah, And but he actually did some really good things in Titi. He created a cooperative, which our families worked um, together the collective way and gardens. I mean, I could remember in my lifetime that my mum used to do gardening. I mean, I could see her plough. I can still see her ploughing the garden with a big stomach and with a horse. She was very strong, my mum. And she would go fishing. You know, she she was really um, very strong and then she would go and help others. So during the, the bottling season, she would. Um, they would go from one house to another, just helping each other to bottle. Uh, So, the fruit for her were there, and the fruit for somebody else. So, everyone shared the fruits of the trees and bottled them. They used to have those old um, tubs, you know, where we used to do our washing, and that used to be full of ashes for a heater. That used to be the heater where they sat and peeled the fruit and. And and, and and they talked and talked. They would and, sit around the tub. Yeah, was, so, yeah, yeah, cold because it was cold. And, well, it wasn't that cold because it would have been summer. But then they were usually bottling plums, apples, peaches. I, I mean, we had a. I have to say, it was quite different in mm-hmm. our town. I love being with my my queers and in the mothers of those times, um, just watching them do what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, it, and it was tough, yeah. 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 But, well, but it
0: sounds hard. like a place where nobody would be left out, nobody would be lonely, mm-hmm. nobody would be um, left without help if they needed it.
1: Most of the times, yes, because they actually um, always helped each other. Mm-hmm. If you had a tangi at Titi, everyone actually contributed to that week. So the hardships of tangis weren't hardships of tangi, if you like, taken into account now. Tangis are different. Whereas in my mum and my dad's time, even when I was a child, everybody would go to the murai, the, the grown-ups. We, the tr- older children like myself, would look after the little ones at home and we only go down maybe at night for church and then we'll come home. Mum and Dad used to just do the get, prepare all the food, and they all go and get the food. They, you know, they they just was just marvellous, and you never starved. I mean, uh, our people, in my our time, our marais were just wonderful.
0: A model of self sufficiency, to tea in those days. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think it,
1: it, it's um, self sufficient in a way because men went away to work. The women were left, and they were pretty young mums. If you look back, when I look at my aunties and. And my aunties to have babies, and we used to—they used to look after us while my mum went off to the to the maternity. If she got there to Kaukaua, uh, if she didn't, well, she had it at home. Um, but you know, and they used to have to stay in bed for a week. You don't now nowadays. You don't do that. But in in mum and them's time, it'd be about a week or two weeks. They always made you stay in bed and to rest. Um, It was hard. Mum never stayed in bed for a week, of course. but uh, She would never stay in bed more than two days. Do you remember her having babies at home? Yes, I do. I've seen several of my family born at home. Did you help? I I, I was terrified. I just ran away. (laughs) I ran ran away. When I hear my mother screaming, I ran away. I was just terrified. (laughs) I was scared of the... um, just the my mum was in pain i 'll cry with my mum just about because i i didn 't understand all that stuff, and, but and, your aunties would help, yes, my aunties were there. Mm. we had a midwife who was a man, and really? he was really, yeah we had a male midwife. I remember when one of my sisters. Uh, my mum was labouring with my sister, and I ran down our hill right far away. And I used to be scared of ghosts in those days, and it was all done. Di- You've got to remember, there's no lights, no nothing. So I just knew that the footpath, if you like, running right to his place and getting him to come up the hill with me to mum. And as soon as we walked through the door, mum was having baby um, and my beautiful sister. So I'm very close to my family. I love my brothers and sisters. Tell so me we- more about
0: this Maori male midwife. <laughs> Is <laughs> this unusual? Um not really. I I've known entity
1: quite a few um men that actually would um uh, help to uh what we call fuckafana knowing wāhine. Um and um yeah. And how did it come about that they
0: became midwives?
1: I don't know. It just seems to be that's what we knew in the village. I don't know how they became midwives. I don't know. Uh, all I know that when something happened, I had to run. Call <laughs> <Well>, the midwife. Call <laughs> the midwife.
0: Were, yeah. were they married men?
1: Yes, they were. Yeah. They were married men, um, and I think it's men that that that. Um, if I can remember this one, his he was a his name was a, he was a Edwards. He was a kaipara He he was living at Titi at that time. He was from kaipara Remember, his his first name was Ted, if I can remember. Ted Edwards. I think he's
2: passed away now. Today, the future of Turakina Māori Girls' School in Martin looks uncertain. Nora's parents sent her to Turakina when she was just 12. In our days, we had to
1: set a scholarship to go to boarding school. And I have to say, I actually failed (laughs) to get a scholarship. And my poor dad had to actually pay for my schooling with what he had. And it was very expensive. We couldn't go to any other school. There was no um, high school in those days. There was no intermediate. Uh, we had to go away. So Where was ju- the boarding school? Well, I, my parents chose um, Turukina Māori Girls College down in Martin. And, and I was only 12 years old. It's young to leave when home. I left. Mm-hmm. When I left home, and I cried. I was homesick nearly for a whole year because my brothers and sisters were only babies then, and I had to leave my brothers and sisters. I loved my brothers and sisters, and, and I looked after them most of the time. So, I attended Trukina for two and a half years, I think. I turned fifteen and I left school.
0: And I, what was that school like? What, it must um, have been an awful shock for you leaving oh, a small yeah. village like that. that. It was it was actually
1: a lonely place for me, at boarding school because uh, uh, although most of us came from the same backgrounds, and because we were actually now in another religion, that we were just Presbyterian, ah. we were now in a in a school that taught Presbyterian. So everything became different in terms of tikanga, um, but again, people like us as children, we to adjust Um, and uh, I mean again I I still say education for me was just exciting It, it
0: it didn't sort of make me feel I didn't want to learn I really wanted to learn So that compensated in some degree for the loneliness. Yes, yes. I left school not because of school I left school because I wanted to help
1: my mum you worried about your mum? I was worried about my mum, yeah. and I wanted to come home and help my so, mum.
0: So did you leave with a qualification? or? Not? No,
1: I didn't. I, again, I didn't
0: have any qualifications. Was it a relief to get back home?
1: I love being home. I, I was. I just love being around my family, my, my brothers and sisters and my mum, yeah. my dad. My mum was a hard worker, and I always... Yeah, she was a good role model, tough...
0: She was yeah. pleased to see you back, was she? No, not? she
1: wasn't. Was she she was, was, was really she? angry that I had left school. And, and, of course, her brother found out, my uncle, uh, found out that I was at home looking after children, and he got angry about that too. So he sent, rang my mum and said to my mum, put her on the next train, send her to Auckland, and that's how I ended up in Auckland. Oh. <laughs> I went to work. So I ended up working in Auckland. With my auntie who got me a job as a linen something or other. didn't have a flash name, but it, it was a linen thing. But and yeah, you were yeah.
0: folding sheets for the hospital ward instead of for, for your mum, right?
1: No, I was. Uh, what I used to do in, in in my work was that I had to check all the linen. So if there was a linen needed repairing, I didn't do the dirty stuff. So I was really lucky. I, I, I recall, I myself a lucky person. Check the linen, the 90s, the they were all clean, so I didn't do the mucky stuff. So you
0: were, you were living with your uncle at this point. Did you mm-hmm. have any sort of social life? That was the time of the
1: rock and roll and Elvis and all those wonderful... So um, did you go out rock and rolling? Oh, absolutely. We used to always go to the Māori Community Centre. We would we would um, go dancing starting from Thursday till Sunday. We knew, I never drank alcohol, just to... Um, I, I don't know, alcohol wasn't part of our teenage life, I guess, in our time, um, but we loved dancing. Yeah, I mean, we had Simon, we had Howard Morrison, I mean, we grew up, uh, I grew up with that uh, time,
0: Quintick and when well, you look at um, photos of those days, it always looks as if everyone's having a whale of a time. Oh, we did. And we <laughs> had a whale of time. Go to work, go to work
1: every morning... Um, Thursdays we get paid. We go to the, those were the times when the pictures, the pictures were civic, the embassy, you know, all those theaters. Real. fun and fun, fun, yeah. And then we went to work the next morning. And I mean, we dance all night Friday night. And then if we have to work on Saturday, we go not because we we drink. We never drink beer, so, so. you wouldn't be hungover. No, we weren't hungover. were not we are just tired from dancing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Love rock and roll, yeah. <laughs> So, did you meet the boy of your dreams at this pond or was that later? Uh, um, I had s- me- I seen my
1: husband. Um, he was still going to board to school at uh, at um, Northern College, and I m- s- met him at the tea, and I didn't like him. I sort of didn't like him. Anyway, He's <laughs> uh, not and- love at first sight. <laughs> no, he's never love at first sight. And then I met him again in Auckland. And of course he loved
0: dancing too, so oh, we better give him a name at this point because w- people won't Wally. know. Oh Wata Wata is his name, Wata Tamika, from Kagwe. So it was really dancing that brought you together. Ah
1: right? absolutely. But he he wasn't my boyfriend, he was my you know, in those days there used to be about five or six of us You went out as a group? W- went as a group. Mm-hmm. And, and and we never felt um unsafe in Auckland, I have to say. There was we used to walk, walk, walk. We walked to the community centre. We walked everywhere. You know, yeah, it's been seriously fit. I was, yeah, absolutely. It was was good. Uh, was we had done? Yeah, it was just wonderful. So yeah. when did it get serious? with your husband. Uh, after his last girlfriend dropped him, I <laughs> stepped in. Uh, well, I um, I guess I was just there, and and I think it, as
2: friends, we were both good friends anyway. Nora left school after two years at Turikena. She became a young mum, and it was only after the kids left school that she became an adult student. I mean, my passion always been
1: housing and education, because education for me is that um, it opens doors. When I think back, I wasted quite a lot of years not learning, and I keep encouraging my grandchildren now. To keep learning, make sure you stay at school. Make sure—I you know, mean, I have to, I have to, because I keep saying to them, I wasted a whole lot of wasted time when I think about it. I should have done better than I've done now. You know, I should be really—I should have been a doctorate.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that far. In 1982, Nora was the first Māori employed at the Trade Union Education Authority. Her job as a national coordinator was rewarding and had her rubbing shoulders with the politicians of the time. She worked there for six years, and when National came into power in 1991, the authority was disestablished. Her work at the Trade Union Education Authority would take her to one of the most prestigious universities in the world. And I was
1: recognised by the trade union movement, they wanted to give me an opportunity and they recommended me to go to Harvard. And, and I, I went to Harvard and it was a short course of management and labour studies and which brought a whole lot of people from all over the world to Harvard, from Japan, Australia, Canada, and America, England. So we actually would, I, I was lucky. I was one of the lucky ones. I um, managed then to go to Harvard. Shane Jones had just left that, I think, November of 1991, and I arrived in March 1992. Of February, January 1992, I arrived at Harvard. And again, it sort of boosted my my love for education. I could see that, that this is going to broaden my horizon. So this was before you, or after you did your... Degree? This was before I did my degree. So you went to Harvard first and then I went Waikata. to Harvard first, yeah, and it was a wonderful experience. Um, and I met people at Clinton at that time, Naden, um, because they were doing their campaigns during that time. So you passed this course and came back to New Zealand? Yes, I came back in um, in um, March, and before the end of the month, I got a phone call to apply for the job at Wakara University was for continuing education and there there was a new position. They didn't have a Maori coordinator at all. Mm. So and and the people that were in Waikato sort of knew my background and knew the kind of work and that's what they wanted was to draw Maori back into education and I got the job. That was the beginning of my university.
0: No, you would have been living in Hamilton in Auckland.
1: I was living in Auckland. Mm. Wally and I had just bought our new home in nineteen eighty seven. Oh, we bought a home in Avondale in 1987 because he had to move to Auckland too. Mm. So we we, when we were in Helensville, we were living in a railway house. This time we bought our own home and moved to Auckland. So when I got my work, I commuted by having a flat down there and just worked down there when I had to work there in the campaign. Mm. Um, my work was oh, was fantastic. I loved working with different iwi. I loved working with Bob Mahita. I mean, he—he he was one of my great supporters at that time. You know, he did. I watched how he worked, and that's why i was so keen about treaty claims. I, I saw how people knocked him, um, and, and how he kept plodding along, and and, and I see those parallels again. And, and, and with, with Ngapuhi, with Ngapuhi, I think that um, you know we we got to, we need strong leadership. And in, in, in Bob Mahuta did that. In my work, I had to be creative by bringing Māori to uh, different hapu and whānau and other Māori back into education through the university. And that was fulfilling, I have to say. I loved it. Um, and I still meet those great people in today, you know, uh, some that changed their lives, education changed their lives.
2: Tetsi is north of Kirikiri, near the Tapuna Inlet. It is here where Nora was most familiar with, but it was the wishes of her father that Nora would eventually move to Taco Bay. One of the things that changed my life a lot was when my father died.
1: And, and, and we always believed Teti was where we should be. And of course, when my father passed away, I learned differently. And my father, before he passed away, said to me, and before he passed away, it was only about a few days before he passed away, he said to me, and rubbed me on my head, and I could remember always lying by his bed and just with my head down because he wasn't talking much. But this day he just sort of rubbed my head and, and said to me, um, I don't want you to go back to Titi and live. I want you to take your brothers and sisters home with you to Taco. And I go, oh, God, this is strange. I said, I don't even like that <laughs> As a young mum, I, was a, I wanted to be where all the good power and everything is. <laughs> and he was saying to me, oh, no, I really, I promise.
0: Taco Bay at this stage, just to explain, would, would have been a pretty isolated little yeah, there place. there was nothing there. Very beautiful. Beautiful, but nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing.
2: Te Utinga Rolleston penned this way the pātere, Te Tau o Mātātua. In the start, the pātere makes reference to the hiding or journey the waka Mātātua took when Torua's younger brother Puhi took it up north. The final resting place of the waka is Tākau Bay. It lies on the eastern side of the Far North District, between Bay of Islands and Whangarua Harbour. At first, Nora was hesitant to move back to Carco Bay, but it was the final wishes of her dying father. You know, I spoke Māori to him, "What I don't know
1: reira, te ra, te wai, te thats said. That's the right place for me and my brothers and sisters. I mean, I never thought about that deeply. I, ne- I never, f- never thought that kind of Message was a message that would change my life forever, really. Really changed my life. So I told Wally, my husband, about it, and he said to me, Well, I love taco anyway, he said, because I love going there to dive. And um, my father died in 1975, October. And in December that year, the first Christmas that he had passed away, I ended up in taco with my family. And from that 1975 till today, we never missed a Christmas back at Takau, never, never. Is Taco where the Hapa used to live, where he used to live? My father um, never lived at Taco, but his his great-grandfather, the white Tapu, his land links are strong. But he always went home to look after the people. He never lived there personally, but his cousins he supported at
2: Tako all the time. It wasn't an easy move. Nora, with the help of her family, had to think outside the box and source funding to transform this desolate and isolated area. The road was atrocious,
1: and we used to drive our little bombs down there for, and with our trailers with a load of gear and actually um, live at Taku for all the holidays, the school holidays, for our children. Paradise, wouldn't It paradise, wasn't it? Ah, oh, it was paradise, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And from that uh, I for five years, I sat back and didn't do anything. I just sat back and enjoyed it, and just sort of looked at what was going around me and, and I knew that I could feel myself personally that there was this is where I do belong you know I do belong here in um, one day, my sister and I were on in the middle of the river. We went out on a boat. I can't swim even though I come from the sea. <laughs> I, think, like, I can dog paddle, and Wally and I and my sister Marcia uh, were on the on a little boat in the middle of the river. And Wally tipped us over. I don't know why he did it. On purpose. On purpose. <laughs> and, and so my sister and I swam across the other side. I'd never been there on the other side at all. This is the the side where the old I was, and it was just full of gorse and nobody had taken care of. Anyway. We landed on, her and I, with our wet clothes, started to walk. We don't know why, it just seemed to be drawing us to wherever we were going. And um, we walked towards the old marae, and it was just the warmth that gave over me. Like it was whoever they were, was saying, we've been waiting for you. Welcome home. Welcome home, and it was just a real wonderful feeling. It was just a wonderful thing. And we went to the marae, the broken-down Murai. I got photos of it, what it looked like. And I walked towards the Murai. my sister. And we started crying. We don't know what we crying for, but we were crying. And um, her and I didn't talk to each other. The, the gorse was coming out of the floor. The couch poo everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and we went and got the Tumatakura to start sweeping it. I don't know why we were sweeping it, because it was broken down. I guess for me, that day, I vowed that I would do as much as I could to make sure that marae will will be rebuilt, and I'm going to find a way. We had no money, but we were going to... And I was only still a young mum. I want the marae rebuilt. How are we going to do that? I don't know. Anyway, I went to Māori Affairs in those days. It was Māori Affairs then. And, and they said to me, look, we can't do anything, because I, uh, my thoughts were at that time to explore rebuilding the marae and actually putting some homes up so that the people could come home, because I knew there was a few people that wanted to come. I wasn't ready to go home, but I thought that if I could do the work and actually get the marae up and actually do some housing for the old people, they would go back and look after our land. What happened was Māori Affairs said to me, no, that was in 1982, no, there's nothing we can do, Um then I, they told me to go across to the Labour Department. Then in those days it was the Labour Department, and I met a wonderful man, and you would know him, Patoni Hoskins. He was the he was the manager of the Labour Department at the time, and I told him all, all this story about wanting to have a PP scheme back there, and we had unemployed people in Titi. I'm sure they could come and do the work for us. PEP, what did that start um, for? Project in, Employment oh it was program. Program, yeah. People yeah. <laughs> right. Project em- There's a lot of good work done on those things. Oh, absolutely. Anyway. And, yeah, anyway, he said to me, Look, Nora, I know Taco, I know where it is, I'll go and have a look. He called me and he said to me, You know, Nora, I've been down to see where you where that place and he said, And I think you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> He said, I think you're mad, totally mad How are you going to get, the road is terrible And, and he said, How are you going to get across the river to take all the gear And I said, oh, I said we'll find a way, we'll find a way okay. And he believed in me And in the dreams, uh, not in the dreams, in the vision Of bringing Taco alive For me, I was bringing my tupunas back mm. It's their land It's their land, I'm just privileged to be there mm. And um, so we began in nineteen eighty two. Uh, we finished finished that when I we finished it six months because I only had six months to in the PP scheme.
0: That must have been incredibly oh, satisfying,
1: was wasn't exciting. it? Exciting. It was exciting. I mean with it came always uh people that that will always put you down, but we managed to do that.
0: Were some people a bit uneasy about restoring the old place?
1: No. They a lot of the things that do happen in our lives is that people are very jealous about progress. I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I I think that they have their own ideas but never manage to do things that they wanted to do. And then when somebody does manage... And, and when people manage to do the things that they wanted to do, and it can be quite stressful for them and then becomes quite ugly sometimes, but... I I uh, believed in what I did, and I wanted it completed. And and I worked with re- I worked with my family, not just me. My family became my backbone.
2: Ma te ka ia te mahi. From the help of many, the work shall be completed. Today, Taco Bay is thriving takau now nā, you've got Papakainga housing there.
0: Yes, you've yes. Got, how, we, how many people live there now? We have over 50 people living there now from mm-hmm.
1: nothing. We've actually got the only Ahu Papa um, Papakainga plan adopted by um, the District Council and the Māori Land Court. We have done all the work to do that and our, my hope is that I can help Ngāpui the. The thing people have to understand is that you, for me, is actually doing something right. <laughs> it's no use helping others if you haven't got it right in the first place. So housing has always been a passion of mine on oh, kainga. Finding a way through all the crown hoo ha, if you like, to actually get the get Kainga understood in a way uh, that we don't lose our tikanga, but also um, we still got the comforts of what a home should be.
0: Are they old people living there or young families as well?
1: We've got all now. We've got the mm-hmm. old people, we've got the young people, we've got young families who want to come back now. Um, one of the, 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 the great things about Papakainga of mm-hmm. is that it's much easier now than it was many years ago because it's
2: planned. Nora Tafi-Ramika, at 72 years old, is still pushing the important message that education should be a priority. She's busy with local events in the Kirikiri area and she played a leading role to protect Kororipa Pā under the Historic Places Trust. Overall, she says she's led a pretty good life so far. I've been lucky. I've enjoyed my work. I I have no...
1: um, I'm not dissatisfied with my life and I'm not dissatisfied with the work I do. I love the work I do in education. Working for the Ministry of Education is a, is a wonderful opportunity to encourage Māori whanau in Taitokaro to focus with their children give them as many tools we can to to um, to uplift our whanau. Because Taitokarau uh, Ngāpuhi is an area where people say, oh Ngāpuhi is the lowest of this, lowest of that, and I always think to myself, we can get ourselves out. We can. We need just to focus on the positive. That education and having good homes, and a job is what we. Need. And good health, of course, In good health.